really, I, I, we're just going to get into it. Pastor Bob's been uh, speaking about vision for uh, all year, okay? All year long, he's been speaking about vision, and, and it's been great. I love, I love talking about vision. I love uh, what visions are and what they stand for, and so when I was when I was studying for this, like Pastor Bob said, he, he said, oh, well, you know, preach on whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You don't have to, you don't have to go along with the series, but I've been reading in uh, the Old Testament, and the, the first five books, okay, are just long, all right? And, and that's where I've been at, and it's like, man, I'm just waiting for the good part. Not that it's not good. I don't want to say that. Oh, sorry, Jesus. Not that it's not good. But an exciting part, right? Like that TNT drama portion of the Bible and uh, going through all of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and they've just laid out all these instructions and rules and, and stipulations for what it means to be a part of the, of the Israelite nation. And uh, I, I was trying to think, well, what, what is in here that I can give to everybody else, and, and the more I read it, and the more I thought about it, Moses, a guy that probably not many people have ever heard of, right? So Moses, this guy, his whole journey is all about vision, and so I broke down as much as I could, being the theologian and scholar that I am, broke it down as much as I could into some things about vision, and what I got from it is, is who are visions for, and who are visions not for? Uh, dun, dun, dun. Give me a moment. Take a drink. I got this uh, sport bottle so I can look athletic while I preach. Go Gatorade, right? Where's my sponsorship? So who are visions for and not for? Okay, and like I said, we're talking about Moses. And this was a man who we've heard about for our entire church life. You know, there's probably not a single person who's never heard of Moses in church or out of church. And there's a lot about vision that we can learn from him. So we're going to start right at the beginning because beginning's always the best place to start. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if you've got a Bible or a phone or eyes to look on the screen, feel free to follow along. This is what it says. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got Married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She, she saw, try to say that five times fast, she saw, she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. So, in this verse here, you might not think it's too terribly exciting, but we learn about the lineage of Moses. All right, He didn't come from royalty, he didn't come from uh, any special couple or any fancy house, or he didn't have access to the, you know, the most resources, anything. He was just a, the son of a Levi couple. Now, his mom thought he was special, but what mom doesn't think their baby is special? So really, there's nothing special about this Moses guy. He was a normal boy. And so I learned here that visions aren't for special people. They're for Anyone. Okay? And I'm going I'm to roll through this fast because I got a lot of stuff. So, next, all right, we're going to jump down to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Okay? This is after Moses has grown up, and it says this. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, 
he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, right? Sometimes we do that with sin. We really feel like the sin is the thing that we need to do, but we know it's not right, so we look out around around us. Okay, family's not looking here. Okay, pastor's not looking here. Okay, people at work aren't looking here, so I'm going to go. No one can see me, so I'm going to go ahead and do it, because if no one sees it, then it's not sin, right? So he looks all around, all directions, to make sure no one was watching, and Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. So two things. First, Moses was exposed to a need. Yes, he killed an Egyptian. That is bad. He was exposed to a need, though. He saw that the people who were enslaved in Egypt, his Hebrew brothers and sisters, were being oppressed. They were being beaten. They were being handled in a way that was not right. So Moses saw the need and reacted in a negative way. The key for every vision is to see a need. If there is no need, there is no vision for it. The second thing was, you know, bad. He killed a guy. That's never good. So out of this, we can see that visions aren't for perfect people, but they're for everyone. They're not for perfect people, but they're for everyone. Next, we're going to jump down to Exodus chapter 3. I got a lot of scripture. I'm sorry. If you don't like reading the Bible, then you should probably went somewhere else on this on this Sunday. So Exodus chapter 3 verses 2 and 3 it says there an angel of the Lord appeared to him Moses in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames it didn't burn up. This is amazing Moses said to himself. I mean what else would he say? Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. God will always find a way to present a vision to you in a way that will pique your interest. God is not going to be able to use the people in the church, use the people on this earth to reach others for his kingdom if he can't first capture your attention. No one likes being bored. Raise your hand if you like being bored. You're a liar. All right, good thing you're in church. You could pray through, okay? No one likes being bored. No one likes going somewhere where someone just spews information that you could care less about. But when someone or something can grab your attention, can grab your focus, you immediately become interested, right? That's why Netflix was invented. Because you found that show that's interesting, and instead of having to wait seven days for the next episode, you can quit your job and watch 40 hours of TV straight. It has your attention, you're interested, you're ready to go. And this is what God does with his people. He knows that that 99% of America has ADD, right? According to all the schools and all the doctors and stuff like that. Nobody can stay focused for longer than a 30 second ad on YouTube, right? That's why they have the skip button. I don't want that. Get that out of here. And so God designs things. He orchestrates things where he can grab our attention. So we will listen to what he has to say. I think that's very interesting. So then we skip down to verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord told him, Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh, harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. 
from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Parasites, all the ites, I don't know, okay? Uh, that's where they all live. We've heard this thing about milk and honey like our entire life in church, and I've, I've always wondered, what's the significance of milk and honey? Why is this always the phrase that is used in the Bible when they talk about the promised land, milk and honey? Was there something really, like, was Central Dairy, is it really that old? Have they been around that long that, that milk is a great thing? So I, I tried to do some studying. I, I looked up kind of what the meaning of it was. I'll let you look up the portion of milk on your own, okay? I don't want to talk about that in church. It was, I don't know if it was totally true, but what I was reading online was kind of weird, and I don't had to do with Songs of Solomon and all that. If you know that book, you know what that book's about. That was what milk was about. So we'll pass on that. We're going to try and keep it PG-13, but honey. We could talk about honey, okay? And honey's great, right, made by bees. It lasts forever. It's the only food that never expires, right? So if you're a doomsday prepper, get lots of honey, all right? It'll be in your bunker for a long time. Uh, but in, in the promised land, this honey, okay, when they talk about it, it was flowing with milk and honey. Uh, bees were so abundant. They lived in all these trees and in all these wild pastures, all these flowers grew. And they were making so much honey that it was literally flowing out of the beehives down the sides of trees, okay? And so if you're into honey, that's a great thing. All right, it takes a lot of effort to convince a bee that you should steal his food, right? Has anybody ever been stung by a bee? Not very fun, okay? They like their honey. But in the promised land, it was so abundant, the things that they needed to work hard for no longer required hard work. And so for these people, God was promising them a land that had all these things that might be hard to get. It's hard to milk a goat, all right? They're chewing on cans. They're running up sides of mountains. They're screaming at you. Anybody see them goat videos online where they are just like screaming their heads off? All right. I'm sure that's what's happening. We try to milk a goat. Every, you know, all right. Things that are hard to get are now easily obtained. Milk and honey. It's a great thing. So Moses' vision was from God. He didn't consult his wife. Moses didn't consult his father-in-law. He didn't look up what should my vision be on Wikipedia or anything like that. His vision came straight from God. And it's very ironic that his vision was directly related to the need that he was previously exposed to. When you see a need in your life, you see something that burdens you, something that tugs on the strings of your heart, I guarantee you that God is going to find a way to put you in a situation where you can be a catalyst for change, where you can be the person to help somebody or a group of people get through something that they have been struggling with. God will give you something directly related to the need you've been exposed to. Visions aren't pie-in-the-sky ideas, they're for the people. Your vision will always help the people. So if we look at Moses, let's do a quick recap. 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 I don't talk like that. I don't say those words. Recap, okay? So he's a normal boy, grew up. Mom shipped him off, gave him away. Princess picked him up, okay, if you don't know the whole story. 
Then, ironically, the princess brought him back to his mom and said, hey, nurse him till he's older. Then he grew up in the Pharaoh's house, walked outside one day, saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, killed him, ran away, uh, got married, okay? Isn't that what a lot of us do? We run away from home and then get married? I don't know. Maybe that's just in the movies. Ran away, gets, gets married, herding some, some flocks of goats, sees this bush burning, gets a vision from God. So once Moses gets this vision and he is, he's called to go back and to free the people of Egypt, guess what? Moses saw opposition, all right? And I got a slide up here. It's got a bunch of verses, okay, all from Exodus, and we're going to look at them. Exodus 7, 13, and 22. Exodus 8, 15, 19, and 32. 9, 7, 12, 34. 10, 20, 27. And chapter 11, verse 10. This is every verse in Exodus during the plague season where Moses saw opposition from the Pharaoh. If you count them all up, that's 11 times. Throughout every plague, every situation, God enacted a miracle through Moses and Aaron. And Pharaoh initially was impressed. Oh, that's really cool. I'll get my magicians to do the same thing. We'll trade off. It's like Penn and Teller. we got this back and forth thing going on. But then as soon as it came time for Pharaoh to say, you know what? Yeah, your people can leave. Your God is pretty cool. His heart was hardened. His attitude was changed. And he said, no, Moses, get out of here. I'm keeping all these people as slaves. Eleven times Moses saw opposition to his vision. And visions that aren't easy aren't from God. If you can see an end to your vision by your own means, by your own abilities, by your own skill set, by everything that you personally have to offer, then your vision isn't from God. I got a quote I'm going to pull up from one of my professors at Mizzou. You guys thought you were going to get out of here without me talking about my days at Mizzou. Well, guess what? You're wrong. All right? There's a, there's a professor at, at Mizzou in the engineering department, mechanical engineering department, who teaches uh, a bunch of stuff on heat transfer and fluid flow and stuff you guys don't care about, I'm sure. And uh, I saw this quote. I'll tell you when I saw this quote. I've been saving it. All right? Three years ago. Three years ago, I saw this quote. January 15th, 2016 is when I saw this quote in an article. And I thought, man, this is going to go great in a sermon someday. It only took me three years to figure out where it should go. But this is what it is. This is what Dr. Park says. I tell them that research requires risk. So if you don't have a risky component in your research, then it's not research. And I thought, man, how true is that? What's the point of doing research in medicine when you already know that Tylenol is going to fix a headache? That's not real research or, or research into, you know, I don't know, things. I'm not smart enough to do research. But if your research isn't risky, it's not research. The same thing goes for your vision. If your vision requires no risk on your, port, your part, no leap of faith, no jumping out into the unknown, then that is not a vision from God. God is going to require you to do things that make you uncomfortable. God lives in the realm of uncomfortability because the more uncomfortable you are, the more comfortable God is in working miracles in your life. You have to learn to be uncomfortable. If there's no risk in the vision, then God isn't in it. 
So visions aren't for gasoline Christians. Gasoline Christians, I'll tell you what that is in a minute. They're for patient people. Moses saw opposition 11 times. That's a long time. But he was patient. He trusted God. He believed in the vision, and he continued to do what God asked him to do. So you say, what are, Jesse, what are gasoline Christians? What, what the heck is that? I don't think I even understand or believe that there's such a thing as a gasoline Christian. So I was thinking about this, and I thought, Christians carry two things, metaphorically. They carry a can of gasoline, and they carry a candle, okay? And a gasoline Christian is a guy that steps into church, sees the pastor preach this super motivational message. Man, they're fired up. They're ready to go. So they start volunteering hardcore. And what do they do? They take their gasoline can. Lauren, I'm going to use you as an example. Don't be offended. They're going to pour the gas all over somebody that's lost. Oh, pour it all over them. Boom, take that candle, light them on fire. Okay? Soon as their gas is out, that person immediately burns up. All their gasoline is gone. And the person, the Christian, carrying the two things, they're done. They don't got nothing left. No more gas. All they got is this candle, and they don't know what to do, and they quit. You get somebody that gets on fire for God. They want to volunteer at church, so they pour gasoline all over the ministry they want to be a part of. They set it on fire. They burn up, burn out, and after three weeks, they're done, and they quit. Or you got the Christian who's carrying the gasoline bucket. They're carrying the candle. And instead of pouring the gasoline on, on a person or on a ministry, or on a volunteer group, or, or being a small groups leader, or whatever that it is, they use that can of gasoline, okay, to fill up their car, and they drive in their car, they're driving around, they use their candle as a light into the darkness, and how many knows that candles burn a lot longer than gasoline does? So this candle they're carrying, they're using that as a light into the darkness. Because there's people in your community, there's people at your job, there's people in your family, your neighbors, people who are around you who are living in the darkness. And they don't need a gasoline Christian to come in and dump a bunch of gas on them and light them on fire and hope that that sticks and they get in church. They need somebody who's willing to drive, to take the journey, to take the time, to continue to hold the light in the darkness. A candle will burn forever while gasoline burns for a moment. So visions aren't for gasoline Christians. They're for patient people. So Moses, he gets all the people out, okay, of Egypt finally. You know, Pharaoh's firstborn dies. He's pretty ticked, as I'm sure anybody would be. And he says, Moses, get out. Get out of here. You're kicked out. Don't ever come back. Get out of here. So Moses leaves, right? And, you know, if, if you've ever read this, it's not like he's leaving with 100 of his, you know, best buddies. It's 600,000 people that Moses is now in charge of leading out of Egypt. And then halfway, you know, Pharaoh changes his mind, runs after him, splits the Red Sea. Moses gets across safely. All the Egyptians die in it. Okay, no big deal. No big deal at all, right? So now Moses is in the wilderness. He's on his own. He doesn't have anybody at his back. He doesn't have Pharaoh being all kinds of opposite and everything like that. And, you know, they're wandering around in the desert. They're trying to find this promised land. They're in this new journey. And all the people, when I say all the people, I mean all 600,000 of them, begin to complain to Moses because 
is hot. We ain't got no food. And I wish I was a slave again. It'd be better. At least we'd have bread. And Moses sees this. He hears this. He goes to God and he says, look, these people are complaining. We ain't got no food. God, what do I need to do? And God says, look, I hear these guys. I hear their cries. I'll tell you what. I'll give you bread and quail, and they'll never be hungry. This is in Exodus chapter 16. They get manna and quail from heaven because Moses' vision requires constant help from God. If you're not continually seeking the wisdom and the help from God in your vision, you will lose sight. The people who are around you that are complaining, you're going to succumb to that and try to find your own path, your own way, your own means to help the situation instead of relying on God. Visions require constant help from God. And visions aren't for self-made people. They're for humble people. A lot of times we, we get in these bad situations. We're in the desert. We don't got no food. We don't got anything to drink. And we try to say, look at me, look at me. I'm going to get this done myself. There's nobody here looking after me except for me. I got to look, look out for number one. There was a, an old country song. I, old. I don't like, first of all, I don't like country. So don't misrepresent me, okay? I'm not a country fan. But there's a Toby Keith song. I don't remember what it was called, but it was talking about, Looking out for number one, me, my, oh, my. Want to talk about me? You know, anybody know that song? Country's terrible, but that's exactly our attitudes, right? We want to look out for number one. We want to look out for me. We want to look out for the guy who can do everything that needs to be done in my own life. But following the vision requires constant help from God. I must decrease so he can increase kind of attitude. Visions aren't for self-made people, they're for humble people. God will give you a vision to where you will have to rely on his power and not your own. So now, I'm going to take another drink break. Brought to you by Sport Bottle. I don't know what it is about talking. Oh man, that was sloppy. Talking in front of people just drives my mouth out. So just hang in there with me with this awkward moment. Everybody just look at, look to your neighbor and compliment how beautiful their eyes are. I heard zero compliments. Okay. Oh, man, that's good. Smart water. It's a smart choice. So, Exodus chapter 24, verse 12. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain. Stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So in this moment, Moses has been consulting with God on Mount Sinai, and he's been, he gave him the, the Ten Commandments, okay? We all know that. Exodus uh, chapter 20 gives him the Ten Commandments, but he also gives him loads and loads of extra instructions, okay? If you, we like to read the Ten Commandments, but if you read for the next several chapters after that, it's like, what do you do with property? What do you do with livestock? If somebody accidentally gores your ox, and what happens then, and all this stuff, what do you do, you know, what kind of clothes are the priests supposed to wear, and this is how you build the tabernacle, all these instructions. But at the very end, God says to Moses, I'm going to write these instructions 
on stone tablets so that you can teach them to the people. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about stone tablets, I think about things that are super heavy and super big and really hard to carry. So when he's putting all this instruction and all this knowledge and all these things on these tablets, it doesn't say explicitly, but I'm guessing he boiled it down to the important stuff because I don't think anybody there is going to be carrying around 27 stone tablets with all the instructions. So he's putting simple, concise instructions on these tablets. Moses' vision was simple. On Mount Sinai, God gave Moses all kinds of instructions for the Israelites on how to live, but the tablets were simple. They could not be detailed. They could not be complex, because if you know, eventually they're putting these tablets in the Ark of the Covenant. Unless the Ark of the Covenant was as big as Mizzou Arena, okay, and they're fitting all these stone tablets with all these words. They're putting the nitty-gritty, best of the best, probably the Ten Commandments on these tablets. And in Habakkuk, verse, or chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, there's a parallel here. The Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. Plainly on tablets tablets. If God was giving instruction directly to Moses in writing the instructions himself on tablets, why would he expect us to try and overcomplicate things ourselves? If God makes simple instructions, we should also have simple instructions. Simple vision, Simple instruction. So write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. If your vision is from God and you continue to pursue it, it will be fulfilled. And if it seems slow in coming, a.k.a. our church building, seems slow in coming, wait Patiently, for it will surely take place. Here, God is guaranteeing you that if your vision is from God, that he will make it come to pass. No matter what the struggles, no matter the opposition, no matter how long it takes, no matter if you feel like it's on your timeline or not, it will surely take place. It will not be Delayed. God's timing is perfect, and whatever he has planned, he will make it happen in his time perfectly and exactly when it should occur. This is no coincidence. Habakkuk being told to write the answer plainly on tablets and God writing his answer plainly on the tablets for Moses. So visions aren't for overthinkers. They are for everyday people. Too many times we, we try to take something from God and we try to put our own spin on it. We try to complicate it. We try to over-spiritualize it. We try to be that new philosophical theologian who is an expert in reading between the lines and pulling out stuff that doesn't exist. That's not what God intends for us in our life and in our visions. God gave us a simple instruction so we know exactly what to do with it. The Great Commission, it's one verse long. Go out into all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Simple. The vision is to go out and tell people about 
Christ. It's not complicated. It's not this philosophical debate. It's not something where we need to overthink it or have this grandiose plan because visions are for everyday people. You don't have to be a great thinker. All right, I can tell you right now, if God can give me a vision, God can give you vision. If I can find a way to graduate from college, you can surely get a vision from God, okay? So, amen, yeah. That amen was a little too loud, Pastor Bob. So, and we're going to jump ahead to numbers. Now they're, yeah, let's just do it. Let's get in there. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 and 28. This was their report to Moses. So Moses had 12 scouts. So they show up to the edge of the promised land. He has 12 scouts. He sends them out into the land to figure out what's going on, what's happening, what's it look like, what's the layout. You know, is there pretty girls there? Well, Moses doesn't care because he's married. But single people are wondering if there's pretty girls there and all this stuff. What kind of food? Scout it out. See what it's about. So this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country. So God, you know, he wasn't lying when he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. It was a cluster of grapes so large they had to carry it between two people. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. So these scouts that went out, these were the people that Moses took from each tribe, the the best of the best, the people that he relied on the most, and said, look, go scout this place out. I trust that that you have the same vision that God has given me. You have it in your heart as well. Go scout this place out. Tell me what we need to do. They come back. They say, yeah, it's great, but it's great, but. So sometimes when we put people around us, it's people that that we think that we should trust with our vision, And we send them out. We talk to them. We confide in them. And they say, that's great, but. That's great, but. This is amazing, but. Yeah, you should do that, but. And they begin to try and take away the power that God has promised. So if we jump down, we're going to jump down now to uh, verse 31. These are the, the bad scouts again. Two scouts said, yeah. There's giants there, but let's kick them in the face. We'll win. Most other people, they, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Your naysayers will do everything in their power to make sure your vision won't come true. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So in closing, Moses' vision was derailed, stripped, and subsequently given away. If you read later, the people were so scared, they were afraid, they were convinced in a moment by this bad report that they screamed out against Moses saying, we cannot go into the promised land. We can't handle it. They're too big, they're too great, they're too mighty. I don't care if God promised us 
this was the place we were going to live. I don't care that, pro- that God said that we were going to be able to defeat anyone in our way. It looks too intimidating, so we shouldn't go. God got real angry because he said, are you kidding me? I brought you guys out of slavery. I did all these crazy things as plagues in the midst of Pharaoh. I split the Red Sea for you guys. I provided you with quail and manna for your journey to the promised land. And now you're finally deciding to not believe in my promise. So what he did was is condemned all the people that were enslaved in Egypt to never see the promised land. Every single one of them were to die in the wilderness before anyone could reach this wonderful place. So Moses' vision was derailed, stripped, and given away. But when times are toughest is when God is planning the biggest victory. There are going to be times in your life where things are hunky-dory. It's easy. Being a Christian is a piece of cake. But everybody can go through the vision when it's easy. But when you start to see the people around you come against you, when you start to see situations in your life that make your vision seem impossible, that's not the time to back down. I think about this every time, every time that Lauren and I go through something, whether it's, she'll probably be mad at me for saying this, but we're trying to live off uh, a single month making $850 or $1,200, and you're trying to figure out how can I possibly pay for everything that I need to pay for when I'm making $200 a week and I'm the only one working. That's not the time to forget the vision. Or when your kids grow up and they run so far away from God and they start to do things that you could never dream that they do, that's not the time to run away from God. In the midst of your biggest struggles, in the midst of your toughest times is the place when God is planning your biggest victory. Whenever I feel like I'm hurting the most or I'm struggling the most or our family is going through it, the toughest moments, I know that a breakthrough is just around the corner. It's always going to be that way. It always has been that way because God is in charge of your vision. And the devil wants nothing more than to step in the way and to push everything that he can in front of you so that you can only see what you can't get through, but you can't, can't see around that wall, or you can't see through that door and see that the promised land is just on the other side. If you take your toughest situations and you hand it over to God and you continue to follow the vision, your biggest victory will be right around the corner. This was the payoff for Moses, and he let the naysayers sway the people that he had the vision for. If you remember his original vision, to free the people from Egypt. This was the payoff. This was the promised land, and he let naysayers break the vision. So, lastly, I want to charge you all with a vision. Visions aren't for special, perfect, or self-made people. 
They're not for gasoline Christians, and they aren't pie-in-the-sky ideas. They are for people like you, and they're for people like me. They are for us. Every person in this room has been given a vision from God. And if you're wondering, Jesse, what can I do? I just come to church on Sunday because it's the right thing to do, and I sit around until 1130, and then I you know, get out of here and I go have lunch because that's what Sunday's all about is going to Las Margaritas or Cracker Barrel. But I can tell you right now that the, the Bible has explicitly given each and every single one of us a vision, and that's just to simply tell lost people about Christ. I want everybody to stand up real quick. This will be your cardio for the day, so you don't have to work out later, okay? Everybody, look around. You're looking around, do your little, you know, 360 or 270 spin, okay? There's empty seats around you. There's an opportunity for a vision to be set forth, to be pursued, and then to be accomplished in each one of these empty seats, your vision as people of Life Rock Church, just it is the pastoral staff, it is your vision as well to see this place totally filled up every single Sunday. I was listening to the radio this weekend, and they were talking about how these mega churches only care about noses and nickels. Noses and nickels. And so I listened to this person and, and what they had to say, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because he had, was bashing the fact that these huge churches make it a priority to get as many people as humanly possible in their church. He was saying that it was wrong, that we shouldn't do it like that. We shouldn't just care about noses. But the fact of the matter is, is that for every nose that is in a seat here, hearing the word of God, hearing hope, hearing that there is a way, hearing that they can get out of it, or hearing that there is a solution to their problem, or that their addiction can be broken, or that their marriage can be saved, is a person that's not sitting out in a lost world wondering how they're going to make it to the next day. These empty seats are the most important thing that this church has to offer. Every empty seat and this place represents an opportunity for you to find a vision for that person at your job. You know who I'm talking about. When I say the person at your job, that person immediately pops up into your mind. That person that lives down the street or that lady you see in the grocery store every Thursday night when you get your groceries. Or that guy that you always say hey to at the gas station. This is an opportunity to see that vision come true. And so my charge to you is to no longer sit idly by. It's really easy to get comfortable. I like being comfortable. It's nice, you know, you turn, get the thermostat to the right temperature, you get the sweatpants on, okay, you get a sweatshirt that's just a little bit too big for you. It's got a giant M from Mizzou on the front, man, that is the dream. But God thrives in uncomfortability. You know, people have those uh, those, those periods at, at the beginning of the year where they try to find one word that will be their motto for the year. And I tried that for a couple years, but I, I always came back to the same word, uncomfortable, to get uncomfortable. The more uncomfortable I become, 
the more comfortable God is in performing a miracle. So I encourage you, I implore you, I other fancy word to ask you to begin to talk to the people around you and to get a burden and a vision to see them come to know Christ. Because there's nothing more amazing and important that you could do with your life and with your testimony than to share it with somebody else and to see them come to know the Lord. So if you guys would just bow your eyes, bow your eyes, bow your heads, close your eyes, and we'll pray today. God, I thank you first and foremost for your son, Jesus Christ, a man that lived perfect on this earth and then died for our sins, God. Not that we deserved it, but because you loved us so, so much, God. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to speak this morning. God, I pray that that this message blesses someone in this place, God. And I pray that because of your vision, God, that you instill that into each and every single person in this place and that you begin, God, to burden us with a responsibility to see people saved, to see seats filled. God, we want to see as many noses as this theater, theater will legally allow us to have, God. I pray that you just bless these people. I pray that you bless them, God, on their journeys in their life, at their job, in their family today, God. I pray that you just continue, God, to work in every need that is in our life that is unseen. And I thank you, God, for everything that you're going to do for us when we confront a struggle, God. I thank you, God, for the power that you're going to have when there's naysayers around us, God. I thank you, God, for every blessing, for every miracle that you will perform, God, to convince the people around us that there is a hope in you. We just thank you, God, for a vision. We thank you for this opportunity, God. And everybody said, amen.